as we've been tracking through the story of Nehemiah, we know that, that the rebuilding of the walls were completed in just 52 days. We saw that last week. And now that the work of, of physical restoration is done, God's going to start a new project of restoration. And it's not on the walls, it's on the people. He's going to begin to restore the hearts of the people who have just been working on the walls in Jerusalem. And how this starts in Nehemiah 8 is that the people of Jerusalem, they gather next to one of the, the gates that they had restored. And as they gather, Ezra, who's a priest, he stands up and he begins to, to open and read and explain the word of God to the people of God. And the people are so excited to, to finally hear the word of God that, that as he opens the Bible, everyone, everyone stands to their feet and they listen to the reading and the explaining of God's word. And, and as they listen, as they um, hear the, the law of God that God had given Moses, they begin to realize quickly that they did not keep God's law. They had been doing things that God had commanded them specifically not to do. And they had not been doing things that God had specifically told them to do. And so they begin to weep as they, they listen to God's word and as they consider their, their present reality. But then the leaders speak up and they say, this is, this is a day that is holy to the Lord. Yes, there is conviction of sin, but it's also a day to celebrate. To celebrate the fact that we have the word of God again. That we get to hear and understand what God's word says. Nehemiah declares, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so let's, let's celebrate, let's feast, let's rejoice because God has given us his word and we have understood it. Then the party reaches the second day and they're continuing to celebrate. And on this second day, they read about what's called the Feast of Booths. This was a festival that was supposed to be celebrated to remember how God had brought the people out of Egypt out of their slavery in Egypt, but they realize we haven't celebrated this thing for about 800 years. And so the people then who, who hear about this festival, they're like, well, we want to obey God, and apparently this is the time we're supposed to be celebrating the Feast of Booths, so let's go ahead and, and make these booths, make these tents, and, and we're going to live outside of our homes. We're going to live in these tents for this week so that we can obey God, and so that we can look back and remember how God brought us out of slavery. And the result is more rejoicing in Jerusalem. So for seven days, the, the word of God is read and explained and, and enjoyed and obeyed. And that's the story of Nehemiah 8 that we get to dig into this morning. And from it, we're going to see that the word of God brings restoration. You know, as we just sang, like, God, you, you rebuild, you restore. God uses his word to bring that restoration. And I think all of us have areas in our lives where we would say we need restoration. Restoration of relationships, restoration of joy, restoration of purpose, restoration of, of desire, whatever that is. And the good news of Nehemiah 8 is that God brings restoration and he uses his word to do it. So let's just, you know, expect God, God wants to speak to us. And we're going to see that, that his word brings restoration through conviction of sin and then through rejoicing and then through obedience. So the first main truth this morning, the word of God brings restoration through conviction. 
Listen to Nehemiah 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. And, and as I read these verses, I want you to just kind of put yourself in, in the shoes of the people who are listening. These people who are listening are hearing the word of God, many of them, for the first time in their lives. So let's hear how it plays out. Nehemiah 8, starting in verse 1. There's a lot of names in here that you're going to have fun listening to me try to pronounce. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, here we go, Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right, and Pediah, Mishael, Malkahijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, all of those same people helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So these, these verses show us that, that the word of God brings restoration through conviction. See, the people have been spending the last few months working on this rebuilding project. They've been restoring the walls of Jerusalem. And now that that project is done, God begins working on them. Many of these individuals had been in exile. They had been away from Jerusalem for their, their entire lives. And so they, they knew about their heritage as the people of God, but they didn't really know um, God's word. They didn't really know God's law. And thankfully, in this moment, they're hearing it read and explained for the first time because Ezra had access to it. And as its pages are open, as its words are read, God begins to work on each person who is listening. We see that men and women and children could understand God's word, and they're together, and they're listening. The spiritual leaders are helping the people understand what is being read, what is being taught. And as the listeners do understand, it says that the result is that they begin to weep. They're, they're convicted of their sin as they listen, they realize that, that they and their ancestors have, have disobeyed the word of God, have disobeyed the law of God, and they're heartbroken about that reality. And I think we need to, to acknowledge, to realize that, that this is not just something that God did for, for them 
then or that God's word does for them then. No, God's word continues daily to show us our sin and to show us our self-righteousness, to, to reveal sin in our hearts. And if you don't believe me, I want to read just a few verses from the New Testament and see um, if that's true or not. 1 John 4 and verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Mark 8 and 36 says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Matthew twenty two thirty seven says that Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 1 John three eighteen, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So I think we can, we can see, like, like, as the word of God gets read, as we, as we hear its words, uh, sin gets revealed in us, right? And there's, there's no doubt that it, it stings when, when we do see the sin that is, that is in our own hearts, and we get kind of uncomfortable under the word of God at times because we realize, like, it's to me that I am not maybe as good as I thought I was, Right? God's, God's standard is, is a lot higher, and I'm, I'm not there. And it's, it's as if the Word of God functions as, as a mirror. Right? It reveals how we really look. But it doesn't just show us how we look on the outside. It also shows us deep inside. It says that the Word of God penetrates. It, it reveals the thoughts, the intentions, the motives of our hearts, and the mirror doesn't lie. Right? Like, if we thought that we shaved our whole face— and then we look in the mirror and we realize that there's a whole portion of our mustache that we forgot to shave. We don't say, dang it, mirror, you are lying. I'm almost convinced that I shaved my whole face. You're wrong. And we walk away. No, we say, okay, the mirror revealed something. There's a problem. And we go and we shave our face and we fix it, right? If we're enjoying a delicious corn on the cob and then we go to the mirror and we realize there's a, a piece of corn stuck in our teeth, we don't call the mirror wrong, we say, I'm going to get a toothpick or a toothbrush, and I'm going to get that thing out of my teeth very quickly so that I can smile big and have no worries, right? That's how we respond to what we see in the mirror, and so, like, shouldn't that be our response to what we see when God reveals sin through the mirror of his word in our hearts? Because just as the mirror doesn't lie, it shows us what's really going on, so too God's word shows us what's going on deep in our hearts, and God's word does not lie. So if, if God's word is teaching me or telling me something that, that makes me personally uncomfortable, my, my responsibility is not, okay, God, you need to change. It's actually, God, I need to change. Help me align my eyes with the truth of what your word says. Because I acknowledge, like, I'm human, I'm limited, I'm, I'm finite, but God is, is not, right? God knows everything. God designed everything, so his word is true, and, and what he says must be believed as true. He certainly knows best, and that's why it's our goal, our, our desire, our commitment at this church. Like, we want to preach the word of God clearly, just as the leaders did in Jerusalem that day. Like, in a way that, that we preach the word of 
God in, in truth, with, with clarity, in a way that is applicable and, and understandable to our lives. Because the power is not in the preacher. The power is not in the person standing up here speaking. The power is in the word of God. And so we stand on God's word. We stand on God's word as truth. And, and that's our commitment as a church. And it's, it's our prayer that that's our commitment, you know, all of us in our families, in our, in our wherever we are at, the word of God would be our truth. And we have to acknowledge, like, as we, as we walk that out, there's going to be times when we are uncomfortable. There's going to be times when we are convicted of sin in our lives. There's going to be times that we are brought to tears over our sin against God, and that's a good thing, because it means that, that our hearts are soft towards God. It, it shows us that that we want to be formed and, and shaped by him, and it's really good because it reminds us of our need for his grace. It takes our eyes off of ourselves and on to Jesus. And the, the apostle um, John, which we're going to get to in, in a little bit, is going to show us why. Like, why we can get our eyes off of ourselves and on to Jesus, and what's the result of that. But first, look at verses 10 through 12. As the people are weeping, this is what happens next. It says, Ezra said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So these verses show us that, that God's word brings restoration through rejoicing, right? The people have, have realized their sin. They have grieved their sin, but now they're instructed to rejoice, to rejoice because they have understood the word of God and to rejoice because it is, it is the Lord who is the one who is strengthening them. And this is where, where John gives us this, this reason to rejoice. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, he writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? So this is showing us that hearing the word of God, seeing our sin revealed is actually a really good thing. Because if we, if we think that we're sinless, we're just wrong, right? There's, 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 the truth is not in us, so we don't want that to be true of us. But then he says, but if you confess your sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is why we rejoice. See, on this side of the cross, it's, it's the other side of the cross of Nehemiah, we have an even greater blessing. Like, they rejoiced because they could understand the word of God. We get to rejoice because we can have relationship with the word made flesh, with Jesus, the word of God with skin on, right? Because we understand that, that Jesus came from heaven to earth because we were never going to be able to perfectly obey God. The mirror, every time that we were going to look in it, it was always going to reveal imperfection 
in us. We had no way of fixing ourselves, trapped in our sin. But Jesus loves us so much that he said, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to come from heaven to earth. I'm going to die. Not because of my sin, but because of our sin. And as he was there, lifeless on the cross, Jesus' followers wept because they thought that for sure their hope was dead and gone. And Jesus was buried. But then three days later, some of his followers went to his tomb. They were going to go pay respects to his body. And as they showed up, the the stone was gone. And they look inside, and Jesus' body was gone too. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And they could not believe their eyes. Their hope was alive again because Jesus had, had conquered death. Death had no hold on him. He was dead, and now he's risen. He had defeated darkness. And this means everything for us because it means that if we will turn from our sin, if we will turn away from, from trusting in ourselves, trying to make ourselves right with God, or turn away from this thought that, that we're too bad, that God could possibly not forgive us, And as we turn to Jesus in faith, trusting that his death on the cross and and his resurrection is enough for us, then our sins are forgiven. We enter into this relationship with God that is filled with restoration. It is filled with joy. We no longer have to try to hide from God when he reveals sin in our lives. Instead, because we are loved, because we are saved by Jesus, because we are his beloved children, we get to confess our sins to him. We get to talk to him about the deepest, darkest parts of our heart, and we know that he's not going to reject us there. He's going to receive us there, and he's going to forgive us there. That's the love that he'll pour out, and that's the love that will transform us. Does that not lead your heart to great rejoicing, right? What a beautiful, beautiful truth. It's, it's such a blessing to know that, that because of Jesus, our sin no longer separates us from God. We're made his beloved children, being transformed into the image of Jesus. And, and your father, according to Zephaniah 3.17, it says this, The Lord your God is in your midst. He's a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. God's singing over you loudly. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. We rejoice in the joy of the Lord because he's rejoicing over us. Not because of what we've done or what we haven't done, but because he loves us as his children. So allow that love to to quiet your anxious heart, to rest in his grace as he sings over you. In a very practical way, like if these truths are are new to you, or if these truths are things that you haven't thought about for a long time, open God's word. His word is is available to us, it's accessible to us, and, and his truth is revealed, and it is his truth that brings rejoicing into our hearts. See, it's good to say rejoice, but we need to know what are we rejoicing in? And we find that in the pages of Scripture. But now, I want to just shift a little bit for us to think about, like, where does obedience play into this, right? Like, like we praise God for the fact that he's poured out his grace on us. So, so how do we now think about obedience? Why does obeying God matter? So let's pick it up in verse 13. On the second day, the heads of the Father's houses of all 
the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So as the people are, are reading the law, they learn that there's this festival that we're supposed to be celebrating during this very time of the year. It's called the Festival of Booths. It's, it's given to us by God to remember the fact that he brought us out of Egypt, out of slavery, so they hear, okay, this is something that we should be doing right now. How do they respond? Look at verse 16. They respond in obedience. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua the son of Nun to the day the people of uh, to that day the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So the word of God brings restoration through obedience now. So the answer to the question of, of whether or not we should obey God is a resounding yes. Like yes, our, our disobedience towards God is forgiven, but that's by no means an excuse to say I'm just going to go disobey him more. See, instead restoration comes as we obey the word of God. So I want you to consider just quickly like how restoration can come, what, what restoration God can bring if we were to obey the Ten Commandments that God gave his people through Moses, right? So if we say, I'm going to obey, you shall have no other gods before me, then we would not settle for vain pursuits. We would not commit our lives to pursuing fame and, and fortune to satisfy us because we would know that our life is found in God. If we obey, you shall not make idols, then we would not worship money and, and pleasure and, and lust to, because we would find our, our satisfaction in our God. If we obey you, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, then we would see God honored by those who, who take his name. We would see God honored by those who truly love him. If we obey, remember the Sabbath day we, to keep it holy, then, then we would remember that, that God is on his throne. The, the world keeps spinning even when we sleep, so it's okay to rest. If we obey, honor your father and your mother, then we would see a, a healthier family unit that would translate into healthier society. If we obey, you shall not murder, then we would have more image bearers of God on this earth. If we obey, you shall not commit adultery, then we would have stronger marriages and we would have stronger families. If we obey, you shall not steal, then we would be able to enjoy what we have and allow others to freely enjoy what they have. If we obey, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, then we would have stronger 
communities that are, that are more tightly connected, working for the good of one another. And if we obey, you shall not covet, then we would be able to celebrate the successes of others instead of living in, in constant comparison and being jealous of those around us. As we think of those things, like aren't all of those things that we're like, we want that. We want that individually. We want that in our families. We want that in our community. And these things are possible as we open God's word, as we see what, what does God's word say, and then as we allow him to, to reveal that sin that is in us, to then confess that sin to him, to rejoice in his forgiveness, and then to choose, God, I want to walk in obedience to what your word says. Because at the end of the day, like, doesn't the one who created everything know how everything works best? And so wouldn't it then be wise to obey him based on what he says? See, family, just like, like David, it's, it's my prayer for us that, that we'd be able to say, God, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. That that would be true of all of us. That, that we would find God's word more precious, more beautiful, more, more worthy of, of study than we find anything else. The news, sports, social media, the weather even, which the weather has been fascinating recently, but God's word is more fascinating, right? Because as we, as we dig into God's word, we see that his word does bring restoration. And before long, as we, as we allow God's word to reveal the sin that is in our hearts, as we rejoice in the, the forgiveness that we receive through him and obey what God's word teaches, we're gonna see him do a great work because he can restore those relationships that that we really want to have restored he he can bring back the joy that was was perhaps lost forever he can renew the sense of purpose that was once so strong but has been has been dying recently and he can increase your desire to love him and to love others god can do this work he wants to do this work so we now join him in that work, saying, yes, Lord, yes, I want to join you in your work of restoration. I want to hear and obey and understand your word. And if you do not trust in Jesus, then, then today's the day to make that decision. Like, regardless of how broken and, and destroyed your life is, Jesus came for you, right? His death on the cross showed that you can be not that bad and you can be really, really bad, no matter what, all of us have fallen short of God's glory. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so if you'll turn from your sins and trust in Jesus, then, then his life, his righteousness will be credited to you. Your sins will be forgiven. And you will enter into relationship with God. And you can make that decision this morning and you can begin to see God, the living word of God, Jesus, transform your heart and your life. And I would just invite you even even pray with me now as we close, if you want to make that decision. Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that, that my sin has, has separated me from you and that the result of my sin is death. And that's what I deserve. But Jesus, you came to, to take my death upon yourself. You died, you were buried, and you rose from the dead, showing that you are powerful and victorious over death. So I confess my sin to you, and I place my faith, Jesus, in you. Cleanse me of my sin. 
fill me with your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. And Father, I just want to pray for, for all of us. God, all of us have this, this desire for restoration. God, whether it's something huge or something little, God, you bring restoration from the ruins. You've done it throughout history, Jesus. You've done it already in our hearts, and we pray, God, would you do it again? Holy Spirit, would you, would you work through your word? God, I pray that this week it would be true of every single one of us that we would say, man, I don't know what happened, but I really want to hear God's word. I really want to open the pages of scripture, and God, I pray that you would bring restoration as we do that. Lord, that we would rejoice in you, that we would see our sin and, and rejoice in your forgiveness, and that we would obey you as your word says, God. Lord, continue that work in each and every individual here, and I pray that it would, God, flow through us to, to the people around us. In your name, Jesus.